Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Matt Summerfield, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Matt Summerfield, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you very much, John. Great to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you, uh, a friend, an associate evangelist. We've known each other for many years. We have. Absolutely. And it's great to have you on the program to tell us a little of your story. When did you first encounter Jesus? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so I always grew up, I'm one of those people who always grew up in a Christian home. And so I guess I look back and think, I actually don't remember a time when, in a sense, Jesus wasn't kind of part of my life and wasn't aware of him. But I do remember a particular moment with my mum. I don't know how old I was. I was a child. I couldn't give you the date, but I, I definitely was young. And, uh, and I sat on the windowsill of my mum and dad's bedroom, and my mum led me in this prayer to invite Jesus to be a part of my life. And I remember after we prayed, uh, going down the stairs so vividly. I mean, this is a long time ago now. And my dad was at the bottom of the stairs and just said, oh, I've just given my life to Jesus, um, you know, as a child. But even as I look back on that moment now, and, and whilst that was a significant moment, I kind of recognise that, um, you know, I was just always, because the I was blessed by the environment we'd been in, that always was aware that Jesus was there. But that was, that was, I guess, my first moment of a of of a response. Absolutely, you know, to him. Yes, but, yeah. I always I like the picture of the the, the check where uh, the check's there, the asset is there, yeah. and that was the day you signed it. Yeah, absolutely. And almost entered into the inheritance. Yes, yeah. of what you had. Yeah. So you grew up as a. Foster's kids, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Passionate about Jesus, yeah. Although I would say I probably I, I I would I would say that probably until about the age of sixteen or seventeen, I had a what I would call a spectating faith. That um, uh, you know, I would show up at church, and do you remember the days when people used to go to church twice a day? Yeah, and and, and it was expected. That's what we used to do, and and uh, and you know, church was okay, but growing up, it you know, it wasn't that great. And I would sometimes pretend to be asleep or ill on a Sunday afternoon, in in the hope that maybe my parents would have sympathy and we wouldn't have to go in the evening. Um, when my dad planted a church then which is the church that I now lead 40 years ago in our family home there was no escaping it really after that but I would say at the age of 17 for me is when everything really changed because I was asked to become a leader in a brand new outreach that we were going to launch for young people called Prime Time which um, 33 years ago was a very cool name for a youth work and um and I started to get involved. I was only 17. There were 11 to 14s involved in this work who didn't know Jesus at all. And even though I was only a few years older, like these young people were so different to me in terms of their background and some of the issues they were facing. And I, and I realized, wow, I really need to know the Bible. I really need to pray. I really need to be close to Jesus if I'm going to be good news. And so I would say that was the moment when I was like, I was all in. And the sense of the fire of God and the passion of God and for that mission also with young people just kind of gripped me and, and has burned brightly ever since. Now, what work did you go into initially? Well, yes, actually, for the first 20 years or so when my dad was leaving, leading the church, he was involved in IT. He was an IT director at various places like BT and Mitsubishi and ICL. And then by night and weekend, he was the pastor of our church. And I kind of thought that's what I'd do, that I'd be a volunteer youth leader in the evenings 
and in the in the day I'd become an IT professional or maybe one day become an IT director, maybe one day run my own company. I was always passionate about leadership. And so, so actually, essentially in my 20s, um, I worked for the mobile phone company that's now EE, everything everywhere, uh, was T-Mobile. But when I was there, it, it was one-to-one. And I, I spent nearly 10 years, formative years, growing as a leader and as a manager in that context, and really feeling the responsibility to be a person of the kingdom in the workplace, and always thought, essentially, that's what I would do, whilst heavily involved as a volunteer in the youth work of the church. But then um, you applied to be the director of a Christian ministry called Crusaders. What prompted you to do that? Mm. Well, I saw this job ad- advertised as the as the director of Crusaders, and because I'd been involved in youth ministry for about twelve years by that time, um, I used to go to conferences and I'd heard of Crusaders. I, I wasn't a Crusader, uh, and I'd never been on a Crusader camp, but I was aware of it. And I just I looked at it, Jay John, and just thought, imagine the thing that I. I'm most passionate about, which is seeing children and young people come to know Jesus in the local church context. Imagine the privilege of being able to bring influence nationally and, and seeing the church rise up and be good news. And so, so I went for it and I, you know, without false humility, I, I didn't think I was going to get it. I was yes. 29 years old. I was a, you know, if you want to put me in a label, our church is kind of Pentecostal, charismatic, and and I had no history. And there was a part of me that didn't know if I wanted to take it because by this time I was doing very well at at, um, at T-Mobile, everyone everywhere, one to one. You know, I had a company car, petrol card. Um, Coming to Crusaders would be salary. a 70% pay cut, literally. Yes. A, it, it, you know, yes. and, and even now I just think, how is that going to work? Um, but it felt right to go for it. And, uh, and then I did. And I remember when they called me in the December of 1999 saying, we're offering you the job. And I had this mixed th- feeling of like, wow, that's amazing. And also like, oh my, how is this going to work? But, um, but I joined in May of the following year and uh, began just a whole brand new adventure, really. Absolutely. Um, now, tell us a little bit more about what does Crusaders, what did it do? And then the name change. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. So in essence, uh, Crusaders since 1900 has been passionate about seeing children and young people come to know Jesus. And it was set up by a clergyman. Yeah, it was set up by a guy. It's a great story, actually. A guy called Albert Kestin. And he was a missionary in India. And he was coming back to the UK on furlough. And he was staying with some friends in North London called the Safaris. And on one afternoon around March 1900, he's walking in a local park and he sees these boys. And he's intrigued by this because he knows it's a Sunday afternoon, everyone's in Sunday school, which is generally when Sunday school used to run at the turn of the last century. And, uh, and so he goes up to them and he says like, you know, why, why aren't you in church? And they turn to him and they say, what 100 years later has become the immortal cry of most young people, sadly. We don't like it, sir, it's boring. And he was deeply bothered by this. And he went back uh, to the friends that he was staying with and basically said, look, I've, I've found these boys who don't like church, but that means they're, they're not getting to hear about Jesus. And they said to him, well, you're a missionary. There's a mission field. What are you going to do? 
So he goes back the following week. The boys are there again. And he says to them, okay, boys, I'm going to run a, a class. We're going to call it Crusaders, uh, you know, with a sword and, you know, make it feel like it's going to be attractive to you. And I'm going to introduce you to Jesus in a new way. And some of the local churches were really upset, but he felt like God had led him to do this. And basically, six years later, the wind of the Spirit had got behind this 11 groups around the country, over 600 boys at the time. And in 1906, it became a movement. And so when I joined in 2000, it was it was 94 years old with this movement passionate with, you know, that has a missionary passion. You know, what lies at the heart of it, the seed of this is this is Albert Keston's missionary passion to see young people who are not connected to church and aren't hearing about Jesus to connect through primarily weekly groups that are resourced and provided training with, but then camps and overseas missions. And, and that's, that's what I became part of. But isn't it amazing? He didn't, he met these young people, but he didn't ignore them. No. No, and he absolutely. got stirred to do something about it. Yeah. What a legacy. So when you took over, how, what was happening at the time? Yeah, it's interesting. I read this brilliant book called um, Managing Transitions by William Bridges. And uh, I mean, I'd never been a CEO of anything. I'd never even been a director of anything. And I remember I bought a book on how to be a CEO and I book a, bought a book on change because I knew we were going to go through a massive change process. And one of the things that Bridges talks about is the life cycle that an organization goes through. And, and particularly after a period of time, he, he talks about the, the risk of becoming institutionalized, where essentially the structures and things that you've put in place to serve the ministry or the company, you start serving those structures. And I think it would be fair to say after um, you know a number of years that, that Crusaders was in that place of like, you know, perhaps being precious around the wrong wrong thing rather than our burning passion for the mission. And so with a brilliant group of trustees and leadership team, we basically went on this journey of of significant change over five or six years to, to rediscover what does it mean to be a missionary movement in the 21st century because things had changed. And that was new structures, new ways of serving the church, uh, new ways of operating around the country. And the name change was part of that. You know, we, we needed a name missionally that would connect with young people. You know, some people thought we we're doing it for political correctness, but it was nothing to do with that. Like when Paul says, I become all things so that I might you know, reach some, we just knew, you know, Crusaders wasn't a name that connected with young people. We, we needed a name that would resonate with them, that they would stick on hoodies and be proud of and feel excited about being part of, you know, urban saints. And, and sometimes people said to me, but, you know, what if that name doesn't work in 20 years time? And I'd be like, well, we'll change it again because the mission is the core heartbeat of this. And our responsibility always in our charities and churches is to hold on to the mission with an unquenching passion, but recognizing that everything around it has to be up for change because the world's constantly changing. Absolutely. Uh, You've moved on and we'll talk about that in a moment, Uh, but you're still involved in youth ministry. You're the chair of another amazing ministry called Youthscape. Yeah. Tell us what they do. So yeah, so I'm I, I'm still I jest with my church, and my church jests with me that ultimately I'm a youth leader who's faking it now as a senior pastor of a church. And 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 I'm like you, I'm an evangelist. I I, I want to see people get saved. 
from from child right through to to senior citizens. But but I will always have a real passion, particularly for children and young people. And so I, I left uh, Crusaders and then Urban Saints in the middle of uh, 2018 and still very involved as a volunteer in the youth work of the church today, but had the privilege just over a year or so to become part of, of Youthscape. And uh, Youthscape is a, is a national charity um, based in Luton uh, that, again, is, really has a heartbeat to see youth work in the local church reinvented and reinvigorated to reach this generation of young people today. You know, it's it's shocking that that somewhere between 50 and 60% of churches in the UK have no youth work at all. Of the 30 or 40% of churches that do have youth work, the average number of young people in that church is six. That is the mission of Youthscape, to see that change, to see that shift through um, partnering with churches through resourcing, through conferences, through training that we run. And for the first time next year, a big national festival called Satellites that we're running. But um, one of the things I love about Youthscape is its commitment to innovation and thinking differently, but through thorough research. So we have a research department as well, an innovation group, and everything that we release nationally is always trialled and piloted locally in Luton. So we talk about it being birthed in Luton and then rippled everywhere. Wonderful. So in some ways, you probably wouldn't call yourself this, but you're a cultural analyst in the sense that you understand youth. What are the issues facing today's young people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And there are loads. I mean, I would say having been involved in youth ministry now for I'm into my fourth decade of of youth ministry and I and I'm I'm definitely not a cultural guru but de- definitely been part of different generations of young people's lives and and I would say and I say this I'm an optimist I'm you know um but I would say this generation of young people that we are working with and trying to reach at the moment are the most broken that I've seen in four decades. And when you say broken, Matt, what do you mean? Broken in what way? So in, in a multitude of different ways. So if we believe that the good news of Jesus is good news to the whole person, that this rich, beautiful word shalom, which means well-being and flourishing, and that when Jesus says, I've come that you would have life and life in all its fullness to your emotions, your, your physical life, your relational life, um, your spiritual life, every part of you, your educational life, then I would say in all of those areas, we're seeing levels of brokenness. So, you know, one of the things that's always shocking to me is like, however smart we are, however clever we are, in this world where the key message is, be whoever you want to be, be free, don't let anyone put you in a box. You know, we have a generation of young people who are battling with the biggest mental health pandemic than any generation before before them. So so we've got mental health issues, we've got addiction issues, be it to pornography or social media, huge grappling with identity. When you're being told there are multiple, multiple identities that you can have in a, in a multitude of different ways, not just gender and sexuality, but just in a whole ream of areas. Like, it's so confusing. Do you, like, do you remember the, 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 the days years ago, you used to go to a coffee shop and it's like black coffee or white coffee. And now yes. you've got all of these coffees. And actually, when you have loads of choice, it, it can be paralyzing. You don't know what to choose. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing a generation of young people growing up and, they, and they've got so many different options in so many different ways. They just don't know what to choose. No. Now, if we look back over hundreds, a couple of thousands of years, mm. 
different generations face different issues yes. and problems. Yes. Obviously, ours might look different, but there have been on occasions an awakening, a revival. I mean, we need that, don't we, Matt? We do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are we going to? What, what, what is it that the church needs to do? How are we going to be part of God's fresh、mm. awakening? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my first answer to that is, you know, any awakening, any revival that's happened, always begins in a place of prayer, doesn't it? Where we, you know, you think of Royce Howes in the Welsh Mines, you know, praying, "God, bend me, break me," and and I think whether we're praying that for the nation,、uh, which we should be doing, or for a generation of young people, like we we feel even in in our church, John, like God's exercising us about a deeper prayer culture within in the church, drawing close to Jesus,、um, you know, crying out for this generation and this nation on His behalf, hearing from heaven about some of the strategies that that kind of might work that will enable us to do that, and so so I think you know there's a deepening, and God's clearly been doing a work. In prayer, you think of twenty-four-seven prayer movements and things like that. And and you're a practitioner there, Matt. I know you as a friend, and you're not just talking theoretically. And I know, for example, you encourage your church、mm-hmm. in prayer and fasting. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Why do you have... do that? Why do we do it? Well, because Jesus told us to do it. You know, and he, you know, there is、uh, at the end of the day, like I, I'm a. The danger for for someone like me, I'm a very active leader. I love achieving things. I love ticking off lists. And and years ago, James John, I really felt God remind me that He prizes intimacy over activity. And when I look at the life of Jesus, these regular moments of retreat to hear what. The father was saying, "I love that moment at the end of Mark's gospel, where, where Jesus, revival comes to Capernaum and demons are flying out of the windows and the gospel's being preached, people are being healed, and then it says Jesus then sneaks off to pray, and then the following day Peter finds him and says to Jesus, 'Like everyone's looking for you,' and it's like." It's like Peter saying, like we're two months into your big campaign. Let's stick a big marquee up. Let's stick a big top up. Get everyone to come to us. We don't need to do anything else. And it's brilliant because Jesus goes, Nah, let's go somewhere else because there are other other places that need it. And you know that in that place of prayer, you can imagine it almost. If we were eavesdropping into that moment, Jesus is saying, like, Do we do we stay here? We're we're seeing incredible things happen, and the Father is saying, No, come on, move on, move on. There are other places. And so it's in the place of prayer that we can draw close to God and ensure that our Intimacy is birthing activity that will bear fruit, rather than being driven by success or the pressure of other people. And so, so we want to be a church. I want to be a follower of Jesus that knows how to be close to Jesus. And、Because、obviously, you believe, Matt, that prayer and fasting shifts things. Yeah, something、Absolutely. changes. And I don't understand any more than. Than you probably do about. Sometimes we see the miracle that we've been praying for. The person is healed from cancer. I've seen that, and I've seen people die. Yes, and I don't understand it, but God calls us to be faithful. And one day maybe we'll understand all that's kind of going on. But being faithful in prayer and, and believing, you know, when I fast, for me, there's something about that moment when my stomach is 
aching for food and I can offer that ache and say, I am aching for food, but I'm aching more for that you. this person comes to know Jesus. And I'm aching for you, Lord, and I'm aching for more of your spirit to break out, more of your presence to come, more of your kingdom to break out in the world. I'm aching for that. And so one of the things I, I was going to say love about fasting, I don't know if I love fasting, but I appreciate about it is the physical sensation reminds me God, your heart must be breaking for your world. You must be aching. And so I want to join in that aching. Yes. And so in response to that question, how are we going to reach out, engage? How are we going to see this fresh awakening? Prayer, fasting. What else is it that we need to be doing as a church? Yeah, because there's a great risk, isn't there, that we just become a holy huddle. And uh, one of the things I love about the story of Moses is when Moses has his burning bush encounter. And and at first, it's a place of intimacy. Take off your shoes. And you can imagine Moses thinking, this is great. Actually, I'm just going to stay here close to the Father. And whilst it's not in the text, clearly, like God's saying, get your shoes on. There's a people to save. And, uh, and so we're living with this, as we see in the life of Jesus, this prayer and intimacy and activity, like let, let's get on, let's get in. And, uh, and I think, you know, we, we want to love people. I mean, one of the things that I've learned from you, which I have plagiarized thoroughly, is the prayer, care and share thing. And it's so simple, but that's what I think we're called to do. We pray, you know, we've, I've got a list of people every day that I'm praying in a little black book at my house. I'm praying and I, I pray that uh, I take authority over closed minds and I Absolutely. command them to be open. I take authority over hard hearts and I command them to be softened and so pray. But then every day I want to do that care. What I'm yeah. asking the Holy Spirit to show me either with people I know or even with strangers in the street, where is there an opportunity to care for someone, to come alongside someone, to do a loving uh, act of kindness, whether it's in Sainsbury's or, or at church or anywhere? You know, what's Jesus, what are you up to? We always say in our church, one of our values is radar, where we want to be the church where we're saying every day, Jesus, whatever you're up to, count us in. We want to join in with what you're up to. So there's that caring for people that can point to Jesus and create an opportunity then to share. Like, you know, why are you doing this? Like, you know, what, you know, why are you doing this? And, uh, and I think, you know, then we need the wisdom to know what to say. Like, you know, how do we, how do we respond? You know, I, I remember um, we used to, we, in fact, we did it for the first time. We've not been able to do it for a few years because of lockdown. But, you know, years and years ago, we did this thing where um, yeah, a big family fun day in the middle of town, free burgers and all that kind of stuff. And I remember this guy coming up to me and just saying, like, you know, why are you doing this? You know, why are you, why are you giving this, me this burger? And, um, and do you think like, you know, most Christians in that moment would just go, oh, just because it's free, you know, most of the time we just shy away from the opportunity to share something or we say too much, you know, as, as an evangelist, it would be easy for me to say, well, as you've asked me, the reason is because in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and then the fish in the sea and the skies and, and then he created Adam and Eve for this perfect relationship with them. And, uh, but they rebelled against him and everything went horribly wrong. But then God tried to start again with this guy called Abraham and he created this whole nation, but they, they rejected him and he called these prophets to get involved and, and try and call them back to God, but that never worked. And in the end, Jesus comes himself and he comes to show them what God is like and he shows them what to live a perfect life. And he dies on the cross for our sins and he rises again so we can be forgiven and restored into relationship with him. And then the God, Jesus returns to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born and years and years, we're, start, start of, we're part of the era of the church in these exciting days where the Holy Spirit's work and we're seeing the kingdom come. But one day Jesus will return and when he comes, he'll renew the whole of creation. And if we're part of his family, we'll be with him forever. And if we're not, then we're not. And that is why I gave you a burger today. <laughs> now, 
Now, all of that may be true, and I may believe all that, but that is not what needs to be said in that moment. And and so, but there is something that needs to be said. Yes. And and so, when a guy is holding a burger and he's saying like, "Why are you guys doing this?" Then I can say, "Because I believe we believe in a God who is generous, a God who is kind, a God who is good, uh, a God who freely gives something of His life for us." And, and so, what you're seeing, you're seeing an example of that. And if they ask more questions, we can say more. But I think. You know, I, I've lived with and learned from you that whole thing of like, let's just pray, absolutely, prayer, care, and share. share. It's, it's simple, and whether it's to the stranger on the street or or our or our friends, um, that, that's what we do. The Lord directed you and gave you the opportunity, and obviously the call of God to take over the leadership of the church that your father planted. Yeah. So there's a great honor in that. There is. And uh, you are the senior pastor yeah. of Zio Church. That's right. Yeah. Te- what does Zio mean? So Zio, and and as a Greek, actually, it's it, it's if we were going to be true about it, it's actually pronounced Zio. But when people look at it, they would never say that. So we just say Zio, and it comes from Romans twelve eleven. It's where Paul is talking about keep your spiritual passion, keep your zeal hot. So it essentially means passion burning hot with passion bubbling over with passion and uh, excited of passion full of passion and so essentially we say zeo means passion and and so we are passionate about jesus we are passionate about people and we are passionate about life and we believe that when people encounter jesus they get life and that is that that's our passion and so we changed our name to Zio Church just a couple of years ago because, again, we, we believe God's called us not to just be a church, but a movement of churches. And so we wanted to be Zio Hitchin and, and Zio Aberdeen and Zio Ungen in Moldova to see the kingdom grow. And, and to see a church that kind of prophetically owns that title, that like if we really believe this is good news, it should show on our face, it should show in our lives, it should show in our body that Jesus is the best news ever and he literally does change our lives. He he's wonderful, incredible, and that should affect every part of our lives. And and so, you know, we want to we want to live that. We want to do it with Zio, as we say. Absolutely. You know. I've got one of your books here, mm. Matt uh, Zio, Living Romans twelve every day. Whoop, whoop. You chose one chapter. From the book of Romans. Yeah. What, go on, tell us why did you choose one chapter? What what what's so ev- about that? So a few years ago, every year in our church, we always have a theme for the year that we feel like God's given us, um, just to hold and and let it seep through the culture. And when I was praying, as I took over the church, actually, this was way way back in 2012. I, I, I really had this challenge about living Romans 12, and. If you think of the greatest commandment where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Romans 12 practically speaks about those three things. What does it look like to love God, to love yourself and love others? And so for every week, for 42 weeks, there are 21 verses in there and I divide it up into 42 weeks. I basically sent a devotional to the church uh, to break up that, say this is how we love God love others and love ourselves and then just refined it over the years and and because it was actually when I wrote this that we discovered the word Zio 
back in 2012. And when I do the devotion on Romans 12, 11 is where we'd found this word about burning hot with passion for God. And, um, and then in the last year, finally turned it into a, into a publication. But it's, it's 42 devotions, daily devotions with practical challenges about how you live them out, what it means to live like Jesus passionately in the world. Matt, well, you certainly are burning passionately for God, with God, and it's a joy to know you and great to have you on Facing the Canon. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Burning passionately for Jesus. That's really what it's all about. Following Jesus, loving him, serving him, working with him and allowing his grace to flood our own lives and through us to others. That's the, that's the essence of what it's all about. I hope that's inspired you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again next week. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.